Our reading is from John 16, reading from verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. This is the word of the Lord. As we sit, why don't we pray as we come before God's word. Uh, Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending your Son to us. And we thank you that your Spirit remains amongst us. Thank you that in your Spirit there is life, there is freedom... And so we pray this evening that you would bring your word powerfully alive in our minds and in our hearts, that we would know true freedom, that we would point to Jesus and to glorify him in our lives, and that you'd send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Well, good evening. Uh, Really great to see you. Uh, Pleasure to add my welcome to uh, Dan's. Uh, And it's really great to see you as we draw our current sermon series to a close. You'll be aware that for the last six weeks or so, we've been based in the Bible's Great Commission control room. We've been looking at the mission task that Jesus gave to his disciples uh, just after he rose from the dead just before he ascended into heaven, words that bring Matthew's gospel to a close. Here are the words. They're in Matthew 28, although we're going to be basing ourselves tonight in John 16. But let me remind you of Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And tonight, you'll have picked up from the clip that we saw uh, on the screen earlier. We're concentrating on those words, I am with you always. Uh, you might remember that at the start uh, of the series, I, uh, I likened the Bible's mission control room that we've been based in to uh, the situation room of the fictional West Wing White House control setup. Uh, a number of you appreciated the analogy. There are clearly some West Wing fans out there. You were audible in your appreciation uh, of the analogy last time. Thank you for being audible again. That's very kind. Uh, and it, it, I, I suspect that the non-fictional mission control room of the White House has been rather busy in the last week. Uh, a number of us are getting to know the increasingly famous Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary. Uh, and in the fictional West Wing dramatization of the White House, uh, a prominent role is given to the press secretary. And one of my favorite scenes is when CJ, the press secretary, is called on to make what she calls a non-apology apology on behalf of the president. Uh, political speak for basically saying sorry, but not really doing sorry. Uh, and... Uh, in this passage, you, you might be trying to work out how I'm going to get from here to uh, the Great Commission uh, and uh, uh, Jesus' ascension into heaven. Uh, in this particular instance, we see Jesus doing a kind of a non-goodbye goodbye. Jesus says goodbye, but he doesn't really do goodbye. He's risen from the dead. He's said hi to his disciples. Uh, they've rejoiced that he has risen back to life. He says bye to his disciples. Hi, bye, I'm going back to my father in heaven. But it's a sort of non-goodbye goodbye. I'm going, but I'm always with you. I'm returning to my Father in heaven, but I will be with you always. That's exactly what is going on in John 16. You might like to keep open in front of you, John 16. Uh, we'll be basing uh, the rest of our talk on it this evening, so it'll be helpful for you to be able to uh, look down. Jesus, at this point, is speaking to his disciples before his death. So he's looking forward to what's going to happen. And verse 5 of John 16 as Jesus saying this, now I'm going to him who sent me. This is a pretty definite goodbye. John's in uh, the habit of using slightly technical words peppered throughout his gospel. Sending has been one of his key motifs. And this word going here isn't so much a kind of general Torah, it's basically a quite a specific root map of a word. Uh, the disciples don't quite get it yet, but Jesus is saying, I'm off. I'm going to the cross to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend following my death to my Father in heaven. That's my route map. That's the plan. That's God's sovereign plan. In a very real sense, this is goodbye. And then in verse 7, he says this, unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Again, the motif of sending keeps on playing. 
And this isn't some kind of divine relay race where you can't kind of have two persons of the Trinity in the same sector at the same time. Jesus isn't saying kind of, well, to be perfectly honest, the world's a bit pokey and unless I go and make some space, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to fit in. Clearly, Jesus and the Spirit are one. Jesus is saying, look, we work as a triple act. And if you just want to cast your eyes back up to verse 26 of chapter 15, you'll see how much that is the case, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, only if I go and die, only if I rise again, only if I ascend to the Father in heaven, it's only if I do all of that that you'll be reunited with God. Boldly, I approach your throne. Only if I do all of that will be you be reunited with God. And only if you're reunited with God will I be able to send my spirit to live in you because that's the prerequisite of my spirit living in you, you being reunited with God. And if you're reunited with God and if my spirit lives in you, then because my Father and me and the Spirit are one, Jesus says, then it will be just the same as me living in you. So in a very real sense, I'm off, goodbye, but in an equally real sense, I'm still with you, a non-goodbye, goodbye. And as the church in the 21st century, goes out from our Great Commission control room, I think that's a real comfort. I am with you always. Just have a look at chapter 16, verse 2, because it sets something of the context of our Great Commission. John says there to, or Jesus says there to his disciples, Uh, They will put you out of the synagogue. In the first century context, that would have been the equivalent of being cut off from society, cut off from politics, being disenfranchised, cut off from education, cut off from politics, cut off from social welfare, cut off uh, perhaps from health provision as well. Jesus goes on, in fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you thinks he is offering a service to God. And for a number of our brothers and sisters around the world, people who would own Jesus as king, that is a very real situation for them. You can visit the Open Doors website, a charity based in Whitney uh, that serves the persecuted church, and you can read some of their stories. But for us in the UK, Jesus still says in our situation, I am with you always. Uh, When you're going along to a Christian prayer meeting or you invite somebody along to your Christian group at work or in a college context and the person gives you the cold shoulder, Jesus says, I am with you always. When we're under pressure in the workplace to lay aside our Christian principles to seal the deal or perhaps when we're passed over for a promotion because we didn't behave that way, In the past, Jesus says, I am with you always. When the Christian voice is marginalized from society, just left out, Jesus says, I am with you. 
when news editors choose to focus on the church's bad news stories, which certainly need to be reported, but choose not to focus on the fact that the overwhelming majority of youth workers in the UK or the overwhelming majority of food banks are based in churches, when they choose not to report that an enormous number of night shelters or hospices are Christian-based initiatives, when the spotlight of our media comes with a definite slant on occasions, Jesus says, I am with you always. Uh, When opposition takes the form, perhaps, of a number of either kind of practical or spiritual coincidences that seem to distract us from the task of mission or to put other things very much centrally on our agenda, Jesus says, I am with you always. It's a great comfort to know I am with you always And then Jesus goes on to outline something of what God's spirit with us looks like. So that's going to be the second half of our time now. We're just going to have a quick look at what God's spirit does. And we're going to look at two things. Firstly, we'll see that God's spirit widens the community of faith to those who don't yet believe. And secondly, he deepens faith within those who do. So if you're particularly mathematical, you've got two axes. A horizontal one, widening faith to those who don't believe. And a vertical one, deepening faith in those who do. So firstly, let's have a look at widening faith and widening the community of believers. And it's there in verse 8 of chapter 16. If you look down, you'll uh, see some words that really uh, recall... uh, a lot of what we've been singing already, the second and third songs that we sang this evening, really did a great job of capturing verse 8 of chapter 16. When he, the Spirit, comes, Jesus says, he will convict this world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, John uses quite a lot of technical vocab. We've noted that already. And another one of his motifs is around the courtroom context. John seems to pepper his uh, his gospel with advocates and testimonies and judgments and all of those types of things. And it's serious stuff. Uh, The work of God's Spirit, we're about to see now in verse 9, is serious stuff. So verse 9 The Spirit convicts the world in regard to sin because they don't believe in Jesus. The Bible says, who has held the oceans in his hands? We were singing it earlier. The Bible says that God's existence is plain to us because he's created the world around us. But by nature, we choose to ignore God and we don't believe in him. We choose to live our own way, uh, the Bible's definition of sin. And it's God's spirit who reveals to us that that's the way that we're living by nature. It's also God's spirit who reveals to us not just 
the dark reality of how we live by nature, but the glorious light that Jesus wants to shed on that situation, that being put right with God doesn't come by trying to do it ourselves, by mustering up a righteousness of our own in our own strength, but only a righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. That's there in verse 10. The Spirit convicts the world in regard to righteousness. Only Jesus can open up the eyes of somebody's heart to see that their bold approach to God lies not in what we can do ourselves, but in what Jesus has done for us. And then verse 11, the Spirit underlines the importance of all of that, recognizing our sin, recognizing that we're put right with God in Jesus, because the Spirit puts the context of our life within the eternal context, which is going to end in judgment. There's a real sense of emergency or urgency with responding to God's call, with recognizing our situation and accepting Jesus' death for us, because those who continue to reject God stand condemned. That's the message that Jesus' spirit longs to open up, to widen the community of faith as he widens God's kingdom. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was uh, involved in uh, the university mission, which was based down in the town hall. If you know the town hall, you'll know it's a bit of a wedding cake of a building. It looks kind of uh, very frilly, uh, and as if the the roof's kind of like been iced with this white icing. It's it's a pretty amazing building. Uh, The inside looks spectacular for the mission, Uh, 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 students had bought in a whole load of lights. They kind of sprinkled them all over the place. They bought in a whole load of pallets, you know, from building sites. I know that doesn't sound spectacular, but it looked awesome from the front. Uh, They'd set the place up as a cafe uh, so that uh, when the talks were over, uh, the conversation could naturally continue. The speakers fabulously well prepared. The organizing committee had briefed them supremely well. The organizing committee had been uh, planning this for a year. Uh, the town hall and everybody involved looked absolutely great. Uh, I was there as one of the uh, mission partners. We were on hand to follow up conversations afterwards that are still ongoing. And I don't want to diminish any of the organization, the planning that went in. The committee who organized it did a brilliant job. But in this uber finessed context, a student comes over to me and says this. I've heard the talks here. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to them. In fact, I've, I've been in church for years, Sunday by Sunday. I understand a lot about Jesus in my head, but I don't understand in my heart. I can't pray. I've got no relationship with God. I can't call him Father. My heart is dead but I want to know how it can come alive. And stood in that hall, surrounded by the hard work of human hands, I was reminded that although our obedience is part of the deal, and although God gives us the privilege of working in mission with him, it's his spirit who convicts of sin, who shows the path of righteousness, 
and the reality of judgment. It's only God's Spirit that can take something that is dead or someone that is dead and bring it to life. So it is a, God, it's a double act, and we certainly need to play our part, but God's the only one who can perform the life-saving heart surgery that we so badly need. Jesus said, I am with you always. Secondly, and uh, finally for tonight, uh, Jesus is with us by his spirit in that second role, not just the horizontal axis of, of widening the arms of the community of faith, but also deepening faith in those who already believe. So just have a look at verse 12. Here's what it says. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. If we just replay that verse and scan over it, you'll see that the Spirit here does three things in terms of deepening faith. Firstly, he, he guides. Secondly, he speaks. Thirdly, he glorifies uh, the, the word guide is another one of John's technical words. It, 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 it's, it doesn't have a particularly general meaning. It, it, it very specifically refers to uh, the, the kind of the spiritual sense of being led by the hand to the throne room of God and beholding the majesty of God seated on his throne, as we were singing earlier, in the splendor of his Glory. It's a slightly, um, in John's gospel, a slightly kind of mystical word, being guided through the mystery of God to the throne room of his presence. Uh, God's Spirit speaks, and so in that presence, God's Spirit speaks the words that the Father and the Son give him to speak. And that's entirely natural because God's Spirit doesn't have any existence apart from the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of the Father. He's the Spirit of the Son. So he can only speak what they tell him to say. And the role in speaking that is to bring glory to the Son. And the Son's role has been to bring glory to the Father. So the Spirit points us to the Son and glorifies him because in the Son, we see the fullness of the Father who has been glorifying himself through his Son. Uh, when I was at uh, Theological College, I heard that it was on Songs of Praise this evening from John Prosser. He uh, told me about Songs of Praise, so Trinity uh, was on Songs of Praise early this afternoon. You may have seen it, but when I was down there uh, on one particular afternoon, it was just as if Jesus had walked into the room. He didn't particularly look like I was expecting to see him look. He had his kind of biker leathers on uh, and particularly long hair. He, in fact, was somebody from a church in Wales, uh, and he was describing what he and his local church uh, get up to week by week. He describes how years earlier he'd been really captivated by Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, um, the Beatitudes and the, the Sermon which follows. And so each morning he would pray for God's Spirit to help him to sit in God's throne room and 
meditate on part of the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. He'd ask God's Spirit to help it to come more deeply alive in him. He'd ask God's Spirit to speak to him, to speak the words of Jesus freshly to his heart, morning by morning. And then he'd end his time in God's throne room by saying, please send me now into your world to live out these words, to live out this teaching, and to glorify Jesus. Uh, He then described what uh, he and uh, his church get up to during the week. And sometimes it was exciting activity, but to be honest, more and more of what he was describing was increasingly uh, mundane. But he described what his church did as it looked to serve the poor in spirit, to mourn with those who mourn, uh, to serve the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I came out at the end and I chatted to my tutor and we both had the same thing impressed on our minds. We said as we sat there, it was as if Jesus had walked into the room. He revealed Uh, as a speaker, and as a very ordinary human being, but he revealed so much of the depth and the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, I am with you always, not just in the throne room moments of life where you feel really close to me, not just in those moments where you feel God speaking to you directly, but in the whole of life. I am with you profoundly glorifying Jesus as you do the washing up with your family. I'm with you profoundly glorifying Jesus as you're sat there in the weekly tutorial, when you're grabbing a snatched lunch with friends in town, when you're sat there vegging out in front of the TV with the people that you live with. Jesus said, I'm always with you. I'm there deepening your faith. I'm there bringing the glory of God's throne room into the everyday mundane life. I'm I'm there speaking the words of God to you always. Are you alert for the things that I can say to you when you're least expecting it, perhaps as the, the suds pop in the sink? I'm there sending you out to glorify me. So we're commissioned to go. We're commissioned to make disciples. Jesus is realistic about it. This is not always going to be easy. And for uh, many of us will know that mission work, sharing Jesus with our friends and those around us is really often hard work. But as we go out, God's spirit goes with us. Jesus goes with us with us. Although we might be the ones that are going out, he's the one that widens the community of faith by bringing life. And although we might go into what seems like a very normal week ahead, he's the one who'll be there deepening faith in us by his spirit who guides us and speaks his words to us and calls us to glorify him. As we finish, I just wonder whether you'd like to shut your eyes uh, and just to to anchor some of that in prayer, perhaps, in uh, thought for the week ahead.
Uh, I wonder how you'd like to respond to God this morning. I wonder if there's a particular situation this evening. I wonder if there's a particular situation where where you find being a Christian particularly difficult. Perhaps there's somebody who it's particularly difficult to live alongside as a Christian. Perhaps there's a specific situation where you're feeling uh, there's quite a lot of opposition to you because of your faith in that situation. I wonder if that's what you'd like to bring before God. I wonder if uh, you're in a situation where you're longing for one of your friends to, to come to know Jesus. It might be that you've been trying really hard uh, and that God's really pleased with your partnership. But it might be that you want to cry out to him even more this evening that his spirit would open up the eyes of that person's heart to know Jesus. It might be that uh, life just either feels a little overwhelming at the moment or just a little bit mundane and you'd love something of the glory of God's throne room presence to come into all those different moments. Why don't we just have a few moments of quiet? I'll ask Roger and the band to come up now. Do use the moments as they're coming up to bring your particular prayer to God. And then they'll carry on leading us in sung worship.